We're in a series which we are calling Prepared for Purpose, the hand of God in the hidden years. We are looking at this moment in time where David, the star of Israel, the anointed king to come, this incredible man of God, who's all the stars are aligned and the red carpet's laid out. It seems like it's the obvious thing for him just to walk into the next level of what God has for him. And then in a moment, he's out a window spending the next 20 years of his life in hiding. And God has been speaking powerfully in this space. Last week, we were in Naoth at Ramah, who got blessed by Naoth at Ramah. David, in fleeing from Saul, the first place he goes is Naoth at Ramah, and he goes and he waits on a word from God. He runs to a place that is not a stronghold. It's actually a a place that is militarily wise, weak, but yet it's a place where God speaks and God reveals his power in David's life. If you miss that, you want to see it. But here's the thing that struck me this week. David doesn't stay at Ramah. David doesn't stay there. In in 1 Samuel 20 verse 1, it says, David fled Ramah and went to Jonathan. Everyone say, Jonathan, and asked, what have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he is trying to kill me? So David goes from the prophet to the prince, And he was at the prophet because he was looking for comfort, but he goes to the prince because he's looking for counsel. So he goes from the prophet to the prince looking, instead of comfort, looking for counsel. And here's the thing. There are seasons in life where we need to run to Ramah. There are seasons in life where we need to have a place where we can go, where we can pour out our soul before God, where we can weep, where we can wail, where we can complain, where we can do those things. There there has to be a season in life where we can run to Ramah. But we also need to realise that God is not calling us to stay there. There is also a season in life where we need to get up, wipe the tears from our eyes, and we need to go to the next place that God has for us. We need to be obedient. We need to seek Council, we need to seek out a Jonathan. We need to step out and say, God, what do you have for me? There is a revelation on the other side of Ramah. And I'm believing today, as we leave Ramah and we go to Jonathan, that God has a revelation for you, that God has a revelation for me, that as we sit in this word today, God wants to speak something straight from his word into your heart that is going to impact your life, you on a new course. Amen. God's hand is in the hiddenness, and I love it. So I want to speak to you this morning on the topic of playing the pause. Everyone say, playing the pause. Playing the pause. My sister never plays the pause. I've got three older sisters. I've got a younger brother, and we love music in our household. So when I was growing up, we would sit down at the piano, and we'd bang out some worship music, some Hillsong United from back in the day. Great stuff. Come on. And it's great. You'd sit there. But the thing was, you could never just sit at the piano by yourself. No one could sit at the piano and have your own little, you know, worship space in and of your own self. Because what would happen is if someone, like if Verity jumped up, I used her name on the live stream. Sorry, Vel. If Vel jumped up on the piano and she started playing, before long, I'd have the guitar out and I'd be sitting next to her playing along. And then mum would just appear and like pop over her shoulder and try and sing some harmonies with her. And then there'd be Phil. Phil would be tapping along. And you guys just know Phil as your good-looking barista. But 
back in the day, he was a drummer and he's a very good drummer, right? Guitarist. So Phil, timing is important to Phil, okay? Because he was a good drummer. So we'd be sitting there playing, but Phil would never play the pause. So in music, it's written with pauses, right? You're like one, two, three, four, one, two, three. And sometimes you've just got to not play any notes. Sometimes you just have to pause to keep the time so that people can go with you. Are you with me? And what happens is if someone doesn't play the pause and they're supposed to be leading a group in song, even if they don't want to be leading the group, but the group want to be led by you, if you don't play the pause, it stuffs everything up. Right? You're singing, oh, praise the name, and Vel's at the piano, she's already at, oh, praise, and we're still on God. Like, <laughs> you're in two different parts and it becomes confusing and it becomes this big mess, right? The music just becomes a mess if you don't play the pause. And it's true for music, but guess what? It's also true for life. And it's especially true for leadership, that there are seasons in life where we have to look at the music, the script that God has written for us, and we have to know when it's time to play the pause. Because if we just keep plugging on, if we just keep running, doing it our way, doing how I want to do it, singing my own song, if I'm by myself, it's fine. It doesn't impact anybody else, right? It's like the organ players in the old churches, who never keep time. Anyone here grow up in a church with an organ player and you had that service where you mix the young service with the old service? Anybody? Come on, someone. Every time, what happens? It's a complete mess because the organist doesn't play the time. They just play it their own way because it's them and a choir and they can do what they want. And then you get your drummer there trying to keep up and they're like 4-4 four, four, and then 3-4 and then 7-8 and then something that doesn't really even exist just to try and keep it all going. It's a mess. Because if you want to lead people, you have, to, you have to play the pause. You can't just do it your way. You've got to do it the way it's been written, the way that in life, let's talk, the way that God is, is calling you to do it. And this is such a powerful word in David's life. This is what we're going to see as Jonathan engages David or as David comes to Jonathan. Jonathan has this word for David. And it's about David, you are, you, like God has anointed you to be king. God is anointed. I know what God has in store for your life, but you are not ready. And God's trying to do something in you to prepare you for what He has for you. And the word that Jonathan brings to him is this simple word, wait. Everyone say, wait. He's saying, David, you've got to learn to play the pause because in order for you to be who God is calling you to be, there's some stuff that He's got to do in your life you got to learn to wait on Him. you got to learn to wait on Him. So with that said, let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 20. David has left Ramah and he's come to Jonathan and he's angry and he's confused. So he comes to Jonathan and he says, he's like, what's going on? Why is your dad trying to kill me? And Jonathan, who normally knows everything, like he's like the sounding board for his dad, is like, what are you talking about? I know everything that goes on. This isn't happening. Dad's not trying to do this. And David's like, bro, I think I would know. He's trying to kill me. And so together they come up with this plan, right? This plan to figure out what's going on. And so in verse 18, chapter 20, it says this. Then Jonathan said to David, tomorrow is the new moon feast. You will be missed because your seat will be empty. (laughs) The day after tomorrow... Toward evening, go to the place where you hid when this trouble began. And wait, everyone say wait, by the stone Ezel. 
I will shoot three arrows to the side of it as though I were shooting at a target. Then I will send a boy and say, go find the arrows. If I say to him, look, the arrows are on this side of you, bring them here, then come, because as surely as the Lord lives, you are safe and there is no danger. But if I say to the boy, look, the arrows are beyond you, then you must go, because the Lord has sent you away. And about the matter you and I discussed, remember, the matter they discussed was this covenant relationship where Jonathan's like, I'm with you. Remember, the Lord is witness between you and me forever. Jump ahead to verse 35. In the morning, Jonathan went out to the field for his meeting with David. He had a small boy with him and he said to the boy, run and find the arrows I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. And when the boy came to the place where Jonathan's arrow had fallen, Jonathan called out after him, isn't the arrow beyond you? Then he shouted, hurry, go quickly. Don't stop. He's not talking to the boy. The boy picked up the arrow and returned to his master. The boy knew nothing about all this, only Jonathan and David knew. Verse 42, Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with one another in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left and Jonathan went back to town. Now, before I say anything else, I just I have to say two things. First and foremost, I have wrestled within myself not to preach a particular sermon. Because I looked at, as soon as I think of David and Jonathan, I want to get philosophical and I want to preach about deconstructing deconstruction. And I want to start talking about David and Jonathan's relationship. And I felt like the Lord said, nah, that's not what this series is about. I went, Lord, please let me talk about that. And I felt like he said, nah, that's not what this series is about. In the end, I felt like we agreed that I could just say one thing. (laughs) Let me say this very, very clearly. David and Jonathan are not in a homosexual relationship. They are not in a homosexual relationship. There is... So much teaching at the moment, biblical scholarship, which is about deconstruction, which means I, the meaning of a text is found in the eyes of the reader, that I can interpret it however I want to interpret it, and that equals truth. That is not good biblical scholarship, okay? The meaning of a text is in the eye of the author. And as scholar, if you're going to study God's Word, if you're going to study anything, You need to go to the author because they are the ones who are writing with particular intent. David and Jonathan are not gay. When you hear that, and you will, it is a lie. Don't listen to it. They are brothers in Christ. They are friends who are closer than a brother. They have a spiritual connection that God has given them. And so they love each other because guess what? Men can love men and women can love women in a non-sexual way. Preach. All right. First point. Second point, what you need to know is that David is not, uh, Jonathan is not a weak, insipid, David-fearing human being. When you read, particularly kids' Bibles, and some of us have children and so we've read kids' Bibles, Jonathan is always portrayed as this little scrawny weakling. That is not him. It's like he looks at David and he's like, oh, I just want to do whatever you say. Like, that's not Jonathan. Jonathan is a beast, man. Like, 1 Samuel 14, you know what happens? Jonathan, like, Israel, are they are completely 
decimated. It says there's not even a weapon to be found in all of Israel. The only people that have a weapon are Saul and Jonathan, not a single other person. The Philistines are completely in control. Israel are hiding and they're in a whole lot of trouble, right? And Jonathan, with his armour bearer, meaning the guy who just held his sword, they come before the Lord. Jonathan's like, God, do you want me to take on the Philistines? And God gives him this sign. He's like, yep. And so Jonathan, he's only got one sword. He's got no one else. And he goes, all right. And so he scales a cliff, like he climbs a cliff freestyle. No ropes back in the day, team. He goes up this cliff. He crests the top of it. He's got his armour bearer with him. So his armour bearer is also like a beast. Up they go. Now just picture this. There's one sword. So the armour bearer gives Jonathan the sword. And then he must be like this, like, get him, bro. (laughs) (laughs) I'm behind you. I've got your back, you know. It says that Jonathan kills 20 Philistines in the space of about 2,000 square metres. One dude. That is a... Serious warrior. Like, that's a dude who's going to mess you up, right? Like, he is awesome. And here's the next thing. Because of his faithfulness, because of his obedience to God, in that moment, God, by the power of God comes, he sends an earthquake. He throws the Philistines into chaos. First Samuel 14, I'm not lying, read it. And the Philistines start attacking each other, which then rouses Israel and causes some of the dissenting troops who had gone over to the Philistines to turn back to Israel. They've got weapons and they just, like Philistine, the Philistines get routed. God's power moves all on account of this one guy had the faith to obey. That's a beast. That's not a weak, like this is not a guy who's afraid of David and therefore does whatever David says. No, this is a guy who is David's equal in every way. Who stands toe-to-toe with David and is like, yeah, man, like I'm with you. So that's Jonathan. Now that I've said those two things, let's get on with the sermon. He's not a pushover. He's a man of God. He's a spirit-filled, fiery man of God. And he comes, David comes to Jonathan complaining. He comes frustrated. He comes angry. And Jonathan has something to say. And because of who Jonathan is, We need to listen because there's wisdom in his words. Verse 19, watch it. He says, the day after tomorrow, toward evening, go to the place where you hid when this trouble began and wait, everyone say wait, by the stone Azel. So go to where you were hiding, but this time, Wait, don't go running back to Rama. Wait by the stone Azel. Do you know what the stone Azel means? The stone Azel means the stone that shows the way. Or I feel like preaching. How many of you know that there's another stone that shows the way? The Bible says, see, I lay a stone in Zion. It says a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. The one who believes in him will never be shaken. It's talking about Jesus Christ, friends. The stone of Zell is a prophetic stone that points to the rock that the builders rejected who has become the cornerstone, the rock of ages, Jesus Christ. And he's the one who shows the way. So Jonathan says, wait 
But don't just wait willy-nilly. Don't just wait in the paddock. Don't wait anywhere. Wait by the stone Ezel. The stone that shows the way. I feel like there's some of us in this room today who've been waiting, but we've been waiting and worrying. We've been waiting over there. We've been waiting over there. We've been stressing and fretting. And the last place you have gone is the stone Ezel. And that's the first place you need to go. To the stone Ezel. To the stone that shows the way. To Jesus Christ. The way, the truth and the life. Jonathan's word is wait. Play the pause, David. Don't keep running. Don't keep stressing. You're angry. You're confused. There's a lot going on. You're full of fear, but it's time to wait. Right now, before anything else happens, you've got to wait by the stone, Azel, because you don't know what's coming. David doesn't know 19 years are ahead of him. 19 years. It's a very long time. And Jonathan's saying, oh, God's trying to teach you something, bro. If you are going to lead his people, if you're going to be the king he's calling you to be, you first and foremost, before you do anything, before you make any decisions, is learn to pause at the stone that shows the way. The stone is there. Why? Why there? Why there? Why wait? Why pause? I want to give you three quick things from a few chapters in the life of Jonathan and David. Is that all right? Here's the first things, because it's in the waiting that God orders our steps. Psalm 37, 23, the steps of a man are ordered by the Lord who takes delight in his journey. Though he falls, he will not be overwhelmed for the Lord is holding his hand. Friends, David is waiting before the Lord. And here's the crazy thing. Because David waits, because David waits, he actually buys time to order for God to order his steps. What do I mean by that? I mean that the Bible tells us that the word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Amen. It does not tell us that it is the floodlights at Adelaide Oval. So often for us, I don't know about you, maybe I'm just preaching to myself, but I want God to show me what's going to happen for the rest of my life and I want to know that it's all perfect and it's all going to work out. Anybody? And the thing with God is, is he's like, I'm not going to show you that because you don't need that. What you need is to grow in faith And in order to grow in faith, I'm going to be a lamp to your feet, which means I'm going to order your steps. And as you take one step, then I'll light up the next step. I'll be a light to the path. But hey, you can't see. It's like driving on the car with your low beams on. You don't know when the next bend's coming up. So you've got to, the the path is there. I know where I've got to walk, but all I can see is one step in front of the other. While David's waiting, God is ordering his steps because his waiting buys Jonathan the time to go to his dad. And as Jonathan goes to his dad, he hears his dad. He says, what is going on? And he he understands in this moment what is going on, that Saul is actually trying to kill his mate. Now, here's the crazy thing. If you are the next king, which is what Jonathan is, right? He's the next king, the next king in line. If he is ever going to get David, if he is playing a trick, if this is all politics... He's got him right where he wants him. David's waiting by the stone Ezel. I know exactly where he is. If he's now going to go to Saul, find out and be like, all right, now's my time to get him. 
He knows exactly where he is. He could easily send the army. David could be destroyed. And then, and then Jonathan's kingship is confirmed from that day on forevermore. This is a huge risk for David to wait by the stone of Zell. This is real vulnerability. This is mad trust in Jonathan and what Jonathan's saying. You with me? And yet Jonathan, as he goes, he talks to Saul and the covenant is confirmed because he doesn't give David into Saul. No, no, he fulfills his promise. And so there's this beautiful relationship that is knit again, stronger and tighter than it ever was before. And that happens because David waits, that it's confirmed. It gives the time for all of this to unfold. David waits by the stone Azel. And so Jonathan is then able to come back and he's able to say, hey, David, he's able to fire the arrows. He's able to say, it's beyond you. It's beyond you. David came with a lack of clarity. David came confused. David came confounded. And because he waits by the stone Azel, not somewhere else, he's waiting in the Lord. He's ready and he's able to receive the message from God that, hey, it's time to go. You can't come back. It's not about this now. You've got to go. And you don't know, but there's 19 years ahead of you now, man. You've got to go. You've got to go. You've got to go. David gets the direction he was seeking. It's just not necessarily the direction he wanted. How often does God give us the direction we're seeking, but because it's not what we want, we reject it? Will we obey? And that obedience will flow out of the waiting It's in the waiting that God orders our steps. Friends, David comes to Jonathan with an agenda, but because he waited on the Lord, he left with an ally. David comes to Jonathan seeking information, but because he waits by the stone as well, he gets revelation. He doesn't just hear what he thinks he wants to hear. He hears a word for his future. David comes to Jonathan to have a talk, but what he leaves with because he waits by the stone of Zell is trust. David comes to Jonathan to confront. Get this, he leaves with a covenant. Why? Because he waited on the Lord. Because he paused. If he never paused, he never gets the discernment he is seeking. Friends, what does it look like for us to learn to play the pause? What does it look like for us to wait upon the Lord? So many of us, we wake up in the morning. I'm guilty of it as just as much as anybody else. If we're honest with ourselves, we're not waiting on the Lord. We're waiting on everything else. We're waiting on news.com. We're waiting on Facebook. We're waiting on Instagram. We're waiting on ESPN.com. We're waiting on anything to be either a, dis- a distraction or guidance. But the one place that will actually order our steps and give us wisdom in anxious, stressful times is the Word of God. We've got to learn to wait on the Lord. Number two, the reason Jonathan says to him to wait is because it's the waiting that renews his strength. As we wait by the stone of Zell, our strength is renewed. Now, to get, you've got to move ahead two chapters to get this. Three chapters. 1 Samuel 23. Now, time has passed. David's been on the run. And we get to this point in time where David is betrayed by the Ziphites. Everyone say Ziphites. The Ziphites are actually a group of Israelite people. Right? They're... they're David knows who they are. They know who David is. He's supposed to be, they're supposed to be a safe people. If they're favourable to him, they'd be safe. But he's betrayed by them. They go to Saul and they say, David's amongst us. Come up. Watch this. Verse 14, chapter 23. 
David stayed in the wilderness strongholds and in the hills of the desert of Ziph, hence Ziphites. Day after day Saul searched for him, but God did not give David into his hands. While David was at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And sometimes in history books, they put, but not chronologically. And if you go to verse 19, you understand why Saul's coming out to take his life. But watch this, 16. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. Jonathan comes to David while David is betrayed and hiding in Ziph and helps him find strength in God. He says, don't be afraid. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Then Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horesh. Jonathan comes to David and strengthens him. Now they've obviously kept comms, right? Because Saul is chasing him and doesn't know where he is. Somehow Jonathan knows exactly where David is. He knows where to find him. He goes to find David and it says he strengthens him in the Lord. How? This is going to blow your minds. This, like, seriously, this has got me going all week, right? Because we need to understand something about David. We have the story, the history. We have what happens in 1st, 2nd Samuel. But we have the heart in the Psalms. And you can't read 1st, 2nd Samuel if you're not going to read the Psalms. Because you might have the history, but if you don't have the heart, you don't know what's going on. But when you have the heart and then you read the history, everything goes... And you start to understand what's happening, yeah? So in Psalm 54 which is the psalm that David wrote at this exact time when he was betrayed by the Ziphites in hiding from Saul. Psalm 54, I got, you got to see this. This is what David writes. Save me, O God, by your name and vindicate me by your strength. Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth for strangers have risen up against me. Strangers? They're the Ziphites and Saul, he knows them, they know him. How many times have you been stabbed by the back by someone that you knew and someone that you loved and you're like, whoa, I did not see that coming. I thought I knew you. I thought you loved me. I thought we were together in this. Bam, out of nowhere. It's the lament of the heart. Strangers have risen up against me. Oppressors have sought after my life. They have not set God before them. Selah. Oh, yeah. Selah. Do you know what Selah means? Pause. Wait. Notice the tone of the psalm. Fear, anxiety, stress, frustration, all of it. And then pause. Watch the tone after. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is with those who uphold my life. He will repay my enemies for their evil. Cut them off in your truth. I will freely sacrifice to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me out of all trouble and my eye has seen its desire upon my enemies. Different much? It's a complete reversal. Why? Because he paused. Why did he pause? 
Someone came and strengthened him in the Lord. Oh, that's good, church. You've got to get more involved. Someone came and strengthened him in the Lord. Who came and strengthened him in the Lord? Jonathan. How do we know? Because it said it in 1 Samuel 23. And if we understand that in 1 Samuel 23, David betrayed, struggling, stressed, fretting, fearful. Jonathan comes as the anointed man of God to strengthen him in the Lord. Jonathan speaks his promise over David. He reminds him of who he is and who God is and what purpose he has on his life. And in that moment, he says, remember to play the pause. Remember to wait by the stone of Azel. Nothing's changed, David. Nothing's changed. You're supposed to wait, 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 wait. And that is where you will renew your strength. Come on, somebody. We know we're in the Bible. Isaiah 40, what does it say? Those who wait upon the Lord will what? Renew their strength. Wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord. Why? Because it will renew your inner being. You will gain strength when you are weak. Wait upon the Lord. How many of you in this moment are weak? How many of you in this moment are stressed? How many of you are looking at the world that we're in and you are fearful? The word of Jonathan to you, actually the word of God through Jonathan to you is what? Wait. Be still and know that I am God. I've got you. My promise is true. Be strengthened. Be strengthened. Be strengthened. Be strengthened. That which is coming against you will not prevail against you. No weapon formed against you will prosper. Wait upon the Lord. And you will renew your strength. Watch this, number three. Why wait? Because it's in the waiting that God alters our perspective. How is his strength renewed? Because his perspective changes. Read that psalm again, guys. The first few verses. It's all, I'm in trouble. Save me. They're oppressing me. They're seeking after my life. They've not set God before them. Look how it ends. Verse seven, for he has delivered me. Past tense, delivered me. He's still in the midst of his trouble. He's got 19 years left. And yet he speaks in the victory that he knows is coming. Come on. Delivered, he has delivered me. He has delivered me. David gains a fresh perspective. When the truth of God is proclaimed, when the promise of God is proclaimed, when David waits upon the Lord, when he salars, when he pauses, in that moment, everything shifts in his mind. His circumstance does not change, but his perspective does. Some of us right here today need a perspective change because our circumstance is difficult and all we can see is what's directly in front of us. All we see is the oppressor. All we see is the, the desert. All we see is trouble. And God's saying, no, 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 wait upon me. Come back to my precious, tried and true promises. And as you come there and as you sit in there, as you remind yourself of who I am and who you are and who good I am, then you will have a perspective shift. And that perspective shift will renew your strength because the journey's not done yet. My ministry hero, David Wilkerson, would always say the hardest part of faith is the last half hour. The problem is you never know when the last half hour is coming. For David, it's 19 years away. 
And you see, if we had more time, we could go over and over all the times where David was weak and struggling and a word came, wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord and you will renew your strength. Friends, this has been so heavy on my heart to encourage some people in this place to wait upon the Lord. Laura, you can come up. Learn to play the pause. God is preparing you for something significant. And he's trying to teach you your hope is not in a news feed. Stop waiting on the news feed. Stop waking up and the very first thing you do is go to Facebook and then spend your whole day stressed. Wake up. Take 10 minutes and go to the promise of God. Let the Spirit of God minister to your soul and strengthen you so that when you do see the news feed, instead of fretting and struggling, you just say, great is the Lord God Almighty. He is who He says He is. The one who is, was and is and is to come. Guess what? He's the same yesterday, today and forever. Guess what? God is good on His Word. He's good on his word. And there's some saints in this place who have lived life for long, longer than I have. And I promise you, when you talk to them, they will tell you God is good on his word. Talk to Gwen, talk to Frank, talk to Ron, talk to some people who have lived some life. And they'll say, there's been many ups and downs. Through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. But guess what? God is faithful and God is good and God is true. And this is why David says, vindicate me in your truth. He says, cut them off in your truth. Because he understands that the truth of God will always prevail. And so instead of him trying to force things and make things happen and get all political and shift people out of the way and do what he has to do, he rests, he waits, he salars, he pauses and he says, if you've given me that promise, I'm holding on to it. Some of us have to come back to God and start calling him out for his promise. I love that in Scripture. When God's given a promise, instead of just sitting there and just, you know, now these guys wait before God. They're like, you said this. You said that. And I'm going to hold you to it. God loves that when people do that. Do you know that? He loves it. He doesn't want us to just be passive. He wants us to be clinging to Him because that's what it means to wait by the stone of Azel. It means to get after Him. Come on. You said this. I'm waiting on that. You're going to bring that to pass, God. That's what we're called to do as the saints of God. And you'll get a new perspective. Last point, last point, last point, then we're closing is simply this. Some of us in this moment are David and need that encouragement. You feel like you're in a Davidic situation. Others in this moment need to be a Jonathan for someone else. Some of us need to be a Jonathan. Some of us, God is stirring your heart to go up to someone and speak a word of encouragement and remind them of who God is. Man, to be... I love this church. I really love pastoring this church because I see this. But what if we did it all the more? What if the culture in this place was as soon as someone walks in the door, if you feel that sense of encouragement, you just walk up and say, can I just encourage you in the Lord? Can we be encouraging each other to read the Word? Can we be encouraging each other to sing? Can we be encouraging each other to pray? Can we be encouraging each other? Can we be strengthening one another in the Lord? That's what it means to be the church of Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, to strengthen one another in the Lord, to lift each other up, to hold each other's hands up, to encourage one another, never to tread down or look down or tread on one another. No, 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 no. Build each other up in the Lord. Renew each other's strength. That's what God does. You're a vessel. You're a vessel. You're a boat that God wants to use and His Spirit will minister through you. 
Hallelujah. If it's just up to me, I'm stuffed. So are you. Praise God that He's put His treasure in jars of clay. It's His treasure that we share. Woo! Come on. There's a treasure to strengthen and renew. To strengthen and renew. God is good, isn't He? All right, I've got to close. We've got to take communion. So let's stand to our feet. Because what we're going to do right now is we are going to move into a Salah moment. We're going to have a moment to pause. We're going to have a moment right now to wait by the stone of Zell, to wait by the stone that shows the way, to wait by the rock of ages, to wait on what God has done for us. This is an ordinance that God gave us in Christ 2,000 years ago. It's an ordinance that's never changed. It's something that has stayed with the church because it's important that we would never forget that it's one of these moments, wherever we're at, it's one of those moments that says, this is what God did for me. This is what God did for you. He suffered and he died. His body was broken and his blood was poured out so that we might have life so that we might find strength. So for the next few minutes, let's salah together. Go and take communion. Go and take the cup. It's actually a COVID safe cup today where you'll get your crisp and your cup together. It's very modern. But take that and don't drink it. Come back to your chair and let's wait together. Take some time to pray. If you want to pray with the person next to you, do that. And in a couple of minutes, I'm going to come up here and we're going to do it together. We're going to eat and drink together and remember what God has done for us that we can be encouraged to run the race with perseverance. Let this moment be a Jonathan moment for the church, yeah? So please go. We've got stations. We've got gluten-free at the back. If that's you, go and grab that. Take it, come back, wait upon the Lord, and let's take communion together. God bless.
Receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So we take the wafer to remind us of all that God has done. same way he also took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes so together we take the cup as a symbol of Christ's blood shed for us in Christ, all God's promises are yes and amen. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for this Salah in history. A Salah we can come back to over and over and over again. That when life is frantic, when the notes are being played one after the other after the other, we can come to your cross, we can play the pause, we can be reminded that you're the one who orders our steps. You are the one who lights our path. You are the one who renews our strength. And you are the one on whom our eyes should be fixed. That we would always see the end from the beginning. And your glory pervading over our situation. We thank you that your hand is in the hidden years. I pray for my brothers and sisters here today who are going through stuff, who, as Beck so beautifully put it, are in the cave and all they can see is the walls around them. Strength, strength, strength. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. And a day will come, like David, where you will dance before the presence of God. We love you, Lord. We thank you. We praise you. We give you honour and glory. And together with one voice, all God's children said, Amen. We're going to stand and sing our last song. And as we do that, if you would like prayer.
feel free to come. We'll have the elders and leaders and prayers and anyone with faith to pray, come and do that. God bless you. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.